check where my hardware is muted. Hmm. Okay. Seems weird. Uh, let's see here. Am I recording all this? Awesome. You're listening to the Music Manumit podcast for June 8th, 2014. Learn more at musicmanumit.com. Hi, and welcome to another Music Manumit. I'm Tom, and uh, Doug is not here today, but we have uh, David Rovix with us today. Hi. Hello. <laughs> and uh, we, you are our first, uh, our first actual uh, recorded by phone uh, interview that we've that we've ever done. And it was, it, as, as I was saying before we started recording, it was it was an ordeal to get it set up, but we have you, so this is a little bit exciting. It's a milestone. <laughs> yes. And what's really funny too is the uh, the call in number that I sent you or whatever whatever it did to get you on the phone. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it did. It tells me where you are. You're in. You're in. Uh, uh, wait, but it, so what it says is you're by Vancouver. Yeah, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, just south of Vancouver, Washington. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's like... I don't don't know why it would say I'm in Vancouver, because Portland's a much bigger city, and I'm actually in Portland, but, you know, maybe it doesn't have very good (laughs) GPS or something. It's a a map screenshot, so I see a bunch of them around there, and I see Portland on there, too, but I just, I went straight for Vancouver, Hmm. because it was the first one that, it was on top. Right, sure. (laughs) So what what are you doing in... uh, Portland, are you? I, I think you're on tour right now, aren't you? I've been on tour in Europe for, until a few days ago. For two months, I was on tour in Europe, and now I'm back home. And currently, home is Portland. Okay, and then uh, for the past seven years. And the last time we talked to you, you were getting ready to um, to travel the world. You were telling us about your previous exploits, and then you were setting up to uh, to do it again. Yeah, that's usually the case. I spend about half the time on the road and half the time preparing for the next tour. So that's kind of my life in a nutshell. Oh, it must be must be awful. <laughs> oh, it's a rough job, you know. Somebody's got to do it, you know, see the world and meet cool people and play music for a living. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and how did it go I mean, this it time? it doesn't suit everybody. Some people would go nuts, you know. Some people who, who are basically antisocial. I mean, there are those, you know musicians too professional musicians who just can't stand talking to people you know that then then it is rough you know but if you're sort of a normal kind of socially adjusted kind of person who likes people then it's a great job yeah it's that's true there are i mean that's we wouldn't we wouldn't have uh depressing music if it weren't for people that aren't socially you know uh exactly into playing music they they write great music like although morrissey writes that stuff yeah, but Morrissey seems uh-huh. like he's actually really, but he seems like he like no, he doesn't like people. Actually, that's a lot of the news about him lately is that he doesn't like things. Right. Oh, that's yeah, true. Yeah, it's sad, you know. I mean, you got this great chance to you know, be be a popular person with lots of cool people, but then if you don't like people, then that's just a burden, I guess. So, yeah. Again, I think it's I think that's first world problems. <laughs> yeah, <know>? right. <laughs> Um, so, uh, since we talked to you last, I mean, you've, you've done a lot of stuff. You've, you, you've traveled, uh, first of all, I mean, how has the, uh, how has the tour gone? I mean, uh, anything, anything you'd like to make of note of anything that's happened since you've been, uh, out and about? Uh, this whole tour went really well. And, um, 
I didn't get deported from anywhere, and oh. uh, you know, no weird fringe organizations had any of my gigs canceled. Uh, you know, making accusations about my character, any of that stuff. So, so it was, you know, basically it was really, really good. Just had lots of well attended gigs, and um, and that uh, that all went off without a hitch. And I think um, the thunderclap. I tried thunderclap for the first time. Um, to kind of promote the tour, and that seemed to help. I, I think I got a, a whole bunch of more people under 40 than I might have had otherwise. Really? That was uh, <laughs> yeah. that was that was one of the things work. I wanted to ask you about. Is uh, I'm, I I recently saw your uh, thunderclap thing, and uh, I was very curious about this. This is I actually had not heard about this until uh, we had spoken to you recently. And this is a new one for me. So could you tell me a little bit about what you did? Uh, I mean, wh- how how did it help you um, actually promote your stuff and get the word out there? Well, What's- it's just basically a just a little mechanism online uh, for um, get, you can get uh, a certain, you, you basically try to get a certain number of people to all sign up uh, through their website to make a uh, do status updates on Facebook or Tumblr or tweet um, at the same time to promote whatever it is you're trying to promote a new album or a tour or whatever it is activist cause or a demonstration or whatever you're trying to do and um, and so it basically is just an excuse to keep on promoting the tour by telling people you know or an album or whatever say I got this thing coming out can you help uh, promote it so you're promoting it that way by trying to get people to help you promote it and then once the actual you know thing is happening then you know 100 or more people however many you've set your goal to and you know got who, who have signed up to it uh, they all tweet or do status updates at the same time and um so it it uh, i mean it's kind of like uh you know, basically like the same effect as a, a really popular tweet that gets retweeted hundreds of times, except you kind of are engineering it, you know, making it happen, even if it might not be the sort of uh, thing that would might get retweeted loads of times, you know. So it, and it definitely seemed to, I mean, it's hard to measure. I didn't try to ask people like, who, you know, how did you hear about this? And even if they had heard about it through Thunderclap, they wouldn't necessarily know because... They would, all they'd know is that they saw a Facebook thing about it. You know, they wouldn't know it came from that necessarily. But so it's hard to hard to measure. But it did seem to have an impact. Yeah, and uh, it it kind of reminded me. There used to be a thing called tweet for a track, which would unlock a track if you were to actually post a Twitter thing about it. But this one seems like it's expanded a little bit. One in the sense that it isn't just all you know one uh, social network. Uh, like you said, it does Tumblr and mm. Facebook and all that. And uh, two, I mean, you used it just to uh, to actually promote your shows. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you can use it for whatever you want. And, yeah, it uses those three social networks, just uh, Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, uh, how, did you, how did you hear about this? I heard about it. From another, I'm involved a bit with the support committee for uh, my friend Marie Mason, who's in prison in Texas, and I heard about it through another supporter of hers who had used it for something and and was uh, thinking about it, using that for promoting something she was, uh, something about her case. Did you say who was in prison in Texas? 
Yeah, she's serving a 22-and-a-half-year prison sentence for uh, basically politically motivated uh, sabotage, like uh, arson and stuff like that, like against logging equipment and genetically modified organism research and uh, burning down mansions that were being built, uh, stuff like that, Earth Liberation Front activities, animal liberation activities. So, so uh, you're talking, you're talking about as they were trying to make them and taking taking land and and putting them in these places. Not like I don't like that house. Not not in that. Sense. Oh no, yeah. She, the Earth Liberation <laughs> Front has never uh, burned down uh, anything that anybody lives in. They've okay. Only uh, targeted uh, massive mansions and other kinds of developments that are usually really unpopular among the more normal residents of an area. Oftentimes they're taking away wild lands to build uh, McMansions and stuff like that on top of the mountain and that sort of thing. So they tend to be developments that are really unpopular among everybody other than the rich. And um, so, and but they only burn down stuff that hasn't been occupied yet. Right. Yeah. The uh, I just wanted to make sure that was clear because it kind of was just like, you know, oh, she burned down mansions and stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. Burning uh, down somebody's <laughs> house might be a bit less. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard enough to get kind of support for burning down a mansion that hasn't been moved into yet. But right. yeah, uh, trying to get support for, oh, yeah, well, the kid was in the house. But, you know, <laughs> no, they never they never hurt anybody. Uh, they never really endangered anybody's lives. I guess there was one incident where some migrant workers who were working construction on a mansion uh, were actually unknown to the uh, people who burned it down were actually uh, uh, nearby at the time and had to get out, but they were all fine. Uh, but that was that's the only incident I know of where somebody almost got hurt. But um, that's uh, it's generally, so far nobody has ever been hurt in an Earth Liberation Front action, yeah. to my knowledge. And I love the fact that my question was, how did you hear about this social promotion thing? And, well, I heard about it from this outlaw activist. <laughs> yeah, right. And it oh, led from to one it. of her supporters. She's not allowed to use the Internet, so she would probably not have heard of Thunderclap. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so um, the uh, now there's also a uh, you have a post here you had shared with us uh, about uh, Switzerland, Iceland. And uh, yeah, that was a blog in my blog entry on the way back from the tour. I, I kind of wrote two of them one about uh, traveling around England, Scotland, and Wales, and then I wrote another just a few days ago about my experiences touring around Northern Europe. Okay, and I wasn't sure when I was looking at these, I didn't know if these inspired a song or if it was really just documentation of what had been happening. And uh, I mean, I'm sure it did inspire a song in some way or another. I mean, I, I assume you write music all the time. So <laughs> I'm yeah, sure some songs. when I'm on tour, I write my more songs on tour just because there's something about just staring out at the road that is good for uh, getting song ideas and working on them. You actually end up with a lot of free time by yourself, just kind of in between gigs, you know, without... You know, even when you're just driving, it's like lots of good time for thinking. So, um, but yeah, I didn't, I don't think I really wrote any songs um, about the, the places I was just visiting. The, the blog is more an essay about my experiences there, but I have certainly written songs um, over the years that are very much about the various sort of uh, topics that I was writing about. I mean, one of the one of the things that really characterizes 
what's happening politically and in society in general in, in Europe these days is uh, austerity and and xenophobia. And I've written a lot about austerity and and xenophobia. So, but I didn't write anything about either subject in the past few weeks. I did write songs, but but they tend to be often just kind of random uh, subjects. You know, it's not necessarily a direct correlation. Yeah. It, it, the uh, the one thing I was sorry, Doug's trying to call me on the other line here. I don't know what he's doing. Um, <laughs> so so I got my phone vibrating, and I'm don't I don't know what to do. I didn't want right. to make a break in the interview. Um, so last time we had talked to you, uh, you had uh, or since then you had actually come out with a uh, new album, the Spies Are Reading My mm-hmm. Blog. Yeah, in 2013, I, I recorded three new albums, uh, all digital, uh, and, and Spies Are Reading My Blog was the last of the three. And then I I, I, I mixed uh, some tracks from all three of them together and, and made a, a physical CD called If I Had a Hammer. So so that's, uh, but yeah, Spies Are Reading My Blog was, uh, was the last, uh, so at, at this point, it's the last sort of recording of new songs that I've made. Okay. And uh, I... And the, uh, I mean, I assume this is uh, part of the reason you toured, and it's been doing well, correct? Well, I always, I pretty much, I mean, like, touring is pretty much my work all the time, every, you know, so, but you, you if you're a working artist doing original music, you really need to have a recording every year. Yeah. Like, uh, otherwise, you're probably going to have a hard time making it work financially and also have a hard time attracting an audience because people want, want a lot of people want to hear your old stuff certain old songs that they that they like but people many people are really looking to hear new material if they're going to come hear you play once a year they're expecting to hear new material i mean they may be very forgiving but basically you know your goal as an artist is it tends to be to write an album's worth of new material every year and record it yeah, I mean, so I, I usually do more than that, but you have to do at least one. You know, and doing more than one, I don't think there's a whole lot of point to in terms of physical CDs. Um, but but at least one new physical CD per year. You know, at this point, who knows how that's going to change with things not you know be everything recently being digital. But right, I just do both. <laughs> so you are actually you are actually still making physical CDs. You haven't gone the full on digital route yet. Yeah, I do both, and and they. I mean, the physical CDs um, <clears throat> they always do kind of about like they. I mean, they, I always sell uh, you know somewhere in the low thousands uh, in terms of CDs every year, and and um, and then with uh, with the downloaded stuff, it'll be more than that. Although what what tends to attract uh, the most downloads is when you give it away for free on SoundCloud or SoundClick or, right. or YouTube. And um, and that is uh, a really important part of the process because that's where the fans come from. You know, if you don't give it away, <clears throat> then then you're losing a lot of potential uh, fans who, who never will hear your music. Yeah, I've been having that same conversation with my guitarist recently, and he's having a hard time wrapping his head around it. And I'm trying to explain to him the whole the whole concept of that. Just just the he's just like he thinks. It, it, sorry, I don't mean to change the the whole topic of this, but I mean it's. It, it, what do you think of the the uh, idea that he has that he thinks giving it away like that devalues the music? 
which is the way he well i mean certainly it's it's more valuable if you don't give it away and uh and you you will make more money probably selling uh, your music online if you don't give it away so I mean, but as a, by means of comparison, I would say, like, I know one guy, um, just for example, who has one song that was a massive international hit, and um, he does not give away, at least last time I talked to him about this, he, he was not giving away most of his music, and so as a result of selling it on iTunes, mm-hmm. he um, would probably make several hundred dollars a month uh, selling his music, uh, um, you know, whereas me giving it all away, I'm probably making more like a hundred dollars a month from selling it. Uh, it's like on digitally, you know, through iTunes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so he was definitely making it more than, than I was. And he had a hit to back it up. Uh, you know, so some people might've heard of him. Um, uh, but then by contrast, you know, I'm, uh, getting a, you know, a hundred thousand people a year are downloading my stuff for free. Mm-hmm. And what that translates into for me is a hell of a lot more gigs than he ever gets, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so basically just, um, you know, it might not be, it's not a scientific uh, comparison necessarily, but my impression is that if you give, give away your music, you will, um, you will, hundreds of times more people will download it than would ever buy it. And so you're going to have hundreds of times more fans than you ever would if you didn't give it away, which should presumably result in at least dozens of times more gigs. Mm -hmm. So if your goal is to make a living and you're going to make a living by performing, which is the case if you're if you're a musician, you're pretty much either making a living from performing or from teaching. And if you're going to make a living from performing, then you need fans. And if you want to get fans, you need to give away your music. So it, it. Maybe it cheapens it in a way, but it certainly increases your fan base. And not only that, but it'll do that all over the world. Wherever, you know, if you're singing in English, then your fan base, your potential fan base is anywhere they speak English, where they have computers. Yeah. So um, that kind of eliminates a lot of Africa and a lot of South Asia. But basically, uh, it, it means, you know, you have a potential large fan base throughout North America, Northern Europe, <clears throat> Australia, and New Zealand which is a lot of places to have fans. Um, you know, if you don't, if you don't give it away, I don't know how it, I don't know how people are going to hear your stuff unless you're getting conventional p- publicity. If you're, if you're buying lots of advertising and, and, you know, radio or magazines or TV or, or you're getting, or you're having hits or you're getting airplay on commercial radio. Well, then you, then you probably would be, in terms of business model, maybe you'd be well advised not to give away your music because you might actually sell it. But uh, even there, you know, from, from the folks I know who have had hits, people aren't buying uh, that much. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, there's just too much they can get for free. And maybe that's the problem. I don't know. But it's been the case for a long time, even with radio. You know, people listen to radio. They don't necessarily buy CDs. They listen to radio. So, but everybody wants to get on the radio, and nobody, nobody wants to not be on the radio. But, of course, with radio, there's royalties, right? So, right. so I guess that, that makes it a bit different. But royalties, to me, I think, are kind of a gray area, too. It's one of those things where, in this argument, and with what you were saying about getting on the radio and, and stuff like that, it's... Uh, it's you just go because that's how you make the money and it's like well how 
How do you know that you're getting the money from being played on the radio? Just like with, uh, I've always been confused by like BMI and uh, ASCAP royalties. Like, do they go around and go, yeah. oh, you played this guy's song? Okay, we'll give them this much. You know, it's, it's, yeah, never the, it's totally messed up the way, I mean, the way some, it depends on the country, but in the U.S. it's really a disaster. And um, ASCAP is the worst, and that's what most people are registered with. And with ASCAP, I believe they check uh, what's playing on the radio four times a year and extrapolate from that who's getting played the rest of the year. So it really ends up going to, like, the top 100 people that ever get played on the radio and basically completely ignoring everybody else. Um, so it uh, whereas in other countries uh, there's they do a much better job of keeping track and and art and this you know artists who are who are not getting played that much will end up with some royalties but i mean with with uh, community radio uh, pretty much everybody playing everything has to keep track of what they're playing and keep playlists and stuff so when i get my royalty checks every three months there'll be many pages long and it'll mostly be one cent or two cents mm-hmm. uh, from different community radio stations and at the end it'll be like 10 20 or 30 dollars um but then if it's more than that it's usually because of getting airplay in other countries and um and, and i mean so then i mean if you do get of course, you don't get much if you're getting played in a community radio station somewhere somewhere else. But if you're getting played on one of the uh, state broadcasters in other countries, which which happens to lots of artists, including me, you know, then then you get you know then it's much more real money. Like I mean, if BBC plays you on a show, it's uh, ninety four dollars per song. Last I checked. Oh, really? It's been a few years since they played me, but yeah, like if they play you on a national show, I mean, which. I mean, it's just unheard of to get played on a national show of any kind in the U.S., for me anyway, on NPR or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's much more common uh, in other places like like Britain or Finland or Germany. You know. Now, in this, this made me, uh, when you were talking about the ASCAP and then you talked about uh, in other countries, um, it made me think, do you have problems with, uh, we've heard stories about, uh, Gemma, which is the, uh, German version mm. of, of, uh, ASCAP out there, but they're like a little bit more, they're a little bit more problematic when it comes to public music or licenses yeah. and all that. Do you have problems? Like if there, I think one of the stories we heard is if there's more than 11 people in a room it's considered a, yep. an event that you have to pay for uh, to play your own music or to play music on a radio or anything like that. Uh, do you ever run into problems with that? I have not, but but that's but it's exactly the same with ASCAP. Um, oh, really? But yeah, Gemma has been very very aggressive about that kind of thing. But and of course, uh, it all depends on which end of the of the equation you're on like if you're running a venue then then gamma can be a terrible problem but if you're an artist and you know how to take advantage of these things and how to work the system then gamma is a is, is a godsend really it's, it's wonderful mm-hmm. i mean there are artists who uh if they diligently keep track of what they play at different venues and stuff like that they can get the potential uh, disaster involved with gamma or ascap uh, making venues pay so much money and stuff is that basically a lot of small venues end up closing, uh, you know, or or not having live music because of uh, not being able to afford the money. So, so there's uh, a lot of pros and cons to this kind of thing. Aside from the 
the basic principle of the whole question of uh, whether this all should be copyrighted and who should be profiting from it and all that. Yeah. Now, now uh, there was another thing you had said, too, that I kept meaning to go back to uh, that you had talked about uh, when we first uh, started today. You had, uh, in passing, said, and this time you didn't get deported. Um, has that happened? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, last September they, or August, um, I, I was not allowed to enter New Zealand. And I've New been, Zealand? Um, turned away from the Canadian border, I think, eight times at least. See, I wouldn't have expected it uh, from those two places. That seems weird well, for some reason. Basically, what I learned uh, fairly recently is if you're on a watch list in one of these five countries, the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Great Britain, if you're in a, on a watch list in one of those countries, you're on a watch list in all of them. Really? Uh, because they share everything since 1948. So I know I'm on a watch list in the U.S., <laughs> for at least the past 12 years. And um, so I think basically I'm also on a watch list in these other countries. And and um, basically all of them, aside from Britain, uh, are, are really... Uh, I mean, Britain, it's a bit different because it's part of the European Union and there's certain laws that they all uh, ascribe to about uh, freedom of movement and stuff. So I think it's a bit, a bit easier to enter Britain, but these uh, all these other countries are, are a nightmare to get into. And uh, the U.S. very much is one of those nightmare countries to get into. Um, luckily, I'm a citizen, so I don't have any problems getting in or out of the U.S. Right. But I have big problems with all the rest of them. What? Can I ask what? why you're on a watch list? Or do you not want to discuss that? Yeah, it's a that? good question. They never tell you, right? But uh, basically, one time when I was trying to cross the Canadian border to go to the G8 protests in Alberta in 2002... Mm -hmm. The guy at the border, um, actually, who, who I pretty much bonded with talking about music and guitars and musicians and stuff, and yeah. and he's in the middle of nowhere in a, on a really rural border crossing where they don't get a whole lot of action, and basically, I think the guy was actually just really shocked that, uh, that he was being asked by his computer system or his superiors or whatever, basically, to turn me away on... Uh, even though I had no criminal record, and he could see that, and he could see I had no problems uh, crossing the border before in terms of any kind of, like, you know, doing anything illegal or whatever. And and yet he had been told to find a reason to turn me away. Mm -hmm. He showed me the um, thing that came through his, com his computer system telling him to come up with a reason to turn me away. To come up with so a reason? So that's when I learned that I'm on a watch list. Oh, and I mean, it, I suspected I was before then, but that's when I learned for sure I'm on a watch list. Really? So, so now you can go see. I told you, <laughs> you know, I'm not just being. Yeah, paranoid. I mean, and other people have this experience too. Normally, they don't tell you, but every once in a while, like you know, somebody will, some border agent will be like disgruntled with the system that he's enforcing, and and will feel like there's something wrong, and they'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Look, this is what it says. You know, Laura Poitras had the same experience, basically. The uh, filmmaker who's working on a film about Edward Snowden. You know, he she uh, she constantly was having problems every time she came back to the U.S. from wherever, Europe or the Middle East or wherever. And uh, one time, a border uh, agent in New York uh, said to her, oh, wow, you score 400 out of 400. 
Uh, and um, so that's when she found out, oh, there's a 400-point scoring system for people who are considered security threats. And this is why she then discovered this is why she was constantly getting her hard drive confiscated every time she entered the U.S. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I, I just like yeah. the fact that it said uh, that when the guy showed you, it said, give him some reason for not letting him in. You know, it was like they, yeah. they'll tell you not to do it, but they're like, but you come up with the thing. We're busy. <laughs> you know, they could yeah, just... they said, yeah, that, that's right. That's right. It didn't say um, what reason it should be. It, it, it seemed to be acknowledging basically that there was no real legitimate reason to turn me away. Um, but that uh, it, he should come up with a reason. And the reason he ultimately came up with was uh, finding a piece of paper in my vehicle, which was a flyer that some anarchist had given me in Wisconsin that advocated direct action. And because it didn't even, it wasn't even talking about uh, some kind of violent direct action. It was just talking about the concept of di- basically direct action as in civil disobedience. And um, because this flyer had the phrase direct action on it, that was uh, his his excuse for turning me away. And he told me that. Hmm. Yeah. And now I feel uh, a little bad because I'm that, from that, Wisconsin. That <laughs> You're from Wisconsin? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's where right. I'm at right now. I'm in Madison. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah, it was in Madison. <laughs> Somebody gave me this flyer. It sounds like something we would do here because we... It sure is something that <laughs> would happen in Madison. Yeah. Oh, well, that's... Wow, that's really weird. That's... Uh, yeah. Oof. So um, now another thing uh, that you have, you have a, a, a thing called the uh, subscription campaign, the the family family circle? Not not like the not like the commercial, the family circle with the talking hamster and the, the family, right? Ah, uh, yes, right. <laughs> uh, well, there's uh, the basic subscription, and then there's like more expanded versions for uh, different uh, sort of people with more money who, who basically want to get... Uh, you know, who get, who get more perks out of the subscription. But um, basically, uh, I've I started this thing a little over a year ago, and it's been very very helpful um, for me. And the basic idea is um, is people get uh, signed up through my website to to uh, send me fifty bucks a year, um, and in exchange they get CDs and stuff in the mail and exclusive digital content, and they get a little card giving them free access to any of my shows in the world. And um, so that's, that's, I've got more than 300 people doing that now. And that's been very, very helpful. And I guess a lot of people these days are talking about the subscription model as being the uh, sort of model that is supplanting the whole concept of, you know, buying things one at a time. You know, it's it's in the in the internet era. It, it makes a lot more sense in a way, like with services like Spotify and Last FM and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of doing my version of that in a way. Yeah, and I like that you're you're doing it on your site. You're not uh, you're not trying to. The problem I have is that all these subscription things and everything. There are sites that go and we'll do this for you, but everybody always takes like ten to twelve percent. And um, yeah, right. I find and PayPal that PayPal already takes money from people anyway. Exactly. And I'm using PayPal and Amazon payments, and so I lose like two point five percent of you know, everything anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, PayPal and Amazon make it really easy to set this kind of thing up yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't even need to have no any HTML. I mean, it's all pretty much you can do it through uh, on a blog. You know. Yeah. 
so yeah, if if uh, you know, there would probably uh, there must be some service that uh, would offer to do the same thing that I'm doing myself. There's actually one that popped up recently um, that uh, we're we're getting on the show to talk to because while we think we know what it is, it's actually really from the website and they're they're fairly new. It's actually run by a musician. The guy that was in uh, I want to say Pomplanus. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I apologize to him, but uh, it, they it's called uh, Patreon. And it's it's a crowdfund, oh, yeah. yeah. But it's a subscription one because it's for people that aren't really doing a goal. It's for people that are that this is what they do, but they don't get paid for it, like YouTube uh, video creators and musicians and uh, people yeah. that are constantly doing it. So that's that's the whole concept of that one. But uh, that's the whole thing is like while I'm while I like the idea of that. And and the fact that it's like, yeah, you know, it's not just, hey, we finished our album and then now what? And then, you you know, you, you feel I, I personally feel like I would I would feel kind of silly coming back and going, OK, now I'm going to do another album. Can you help us do this one, too? Which I mean, you shouldn't feel silly. Yeah, right. You know, that's the thing. You know, I felt like I mean, I was kind of doing that <clears throat> like every year, every other year and feeling like, gosh, you know, so every year I just have to, you know, kind of come begging to people and which is fine but uh i think that with the subscription thing you're you're pretty much um just uh you know getting people to support what you're doing and you have this you know, at least if you get enough subscribers mm-hmm. potentially i'm not really there yet but then you have this uh sort of pool of money to draw on for your whatever projects you're doing and then they get kind of you know perks and uh, as a result of the projects you know basically Right, <laughs> but I like the the uh, what is it Patreon? The, yeah, Patreon. That's also a neat idea. Yeah, I like that one. That one's a good somewhat idea. different. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, because I mean, you're you you can opt to just support constantly on a regular basis, kind of like what I'm doing. Or I think the more common thing with that is uh, people sort of uh, give you a certain amount uh, every time you. Uh, add new content to the web, so it, which could become a, a systematic, regular thing, or or it might be more sporadic. Like, but uh, you know, you you can put down like whatever uh, sort of services or or products or whatever that you are coming up with uh, on with a YouTube or wherever yeah. um, that that should result in people donating something. So it's yeah. Um, so uh, on the going back to the um, the current album that you have, because uh, one of the new things that we're doing with the show is uh, we're we're ending it with a song. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, first of all, it's uh, would you like to tell us about one of the songs and then suggest one that we should uh, play to to close out the show today? Hmm. Um, so yeah, then I'd have to remember what's on that album. But, uh, <laughs> I can start um, naming them off if you want. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe, I mean, I can't. How about do you have the other stuff that I just recorded in the past, uh, like last summer, or uh, like um, into a prism? Do you have that one? Yeah, yeah. I think we've actually played that on our on our uh, music only show that we had. Uh, uh, good. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I I would say landlord. Play landlord from that album. That's that's kind of my favorite um, song lately that I've written, which uh, is is about um, basically the whole question of like who who owns this world and why, and um, why do we still live in a feudal society full of landlords and tenants? You know, if if we're supposed to have 
advanced past feudalism. So it's not about the ropers from Three's Company, is what you're telling me. No, who's that? <laughs> the ropers. I remember Three's Company, but I don't remember the ropers. That was they were now, the, the landlords. landlords. Yeah, the big banks that own the whole country. Okay, own much of the world. It's about the the uh, the tenant uh, the farm tenant farmer peasant, otherwise known as peasant uprising in upstate New York in the 1840s, that um, resulted in basically small land ownership, uh, really, for the first time in any kind of widespread basis mm-hmm. in the U.S. Because really before, uh, and to a large extent still now, but but entirely before the 1840s, um, this country was all just owned by extremely wealthy people, originally Dutch and then English and then, but many of the original Dutch royalty that inherited, uh, you know, that was given the stolen land in this country, uh, what they kept it right through the English domination and uh, American Revolution. It was still owned by these extremely wealthy patroons, these these extremely wealthy Dutch men, like the Van Rensselaers, hmm. after whom a city was named in upstate New York. Wow. Okay. Cool. And there was a, for nine years, the people, all the peasants, uh, refused to pay the rent, and uh, and eventually they won. And what they won was land ownership because basically they, they all were just tenant farmers for generations you could never own the land you were always a peasant uh, you know tenant on this guy's property having to pay him 30 percent of everything you grew every year for generations just for the privilege of being able to farm yeah that's wow that's kind of like the uh, ask cap and gamma conversation we had a little while ago <laughs> Just, yeah. Just for the privilege of having your music played, they will, uh, you know, take it from people that are playing your music. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, sure. Well, um, yeah, you could you could draw some parallels there for sure. Right. And and I, you know, mine will probably be all messed up and probably can be disputed, but you know, I'll draw parallels ah, when well. I can. <laughs> yeah, just draw them. You know, see what happens. You know, nothing wrong with thinking openly. Well, you know, that's, uh, but uh, David, I want to, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. And it was, uh, I mean, I'm I'm so happy that we got this phone thing to work. This may open up some doors for a couple of problems that we've been having. Yeah, all sorts of possibilities now. I know. (laughs) Supposedly you can conference call on this thing. So who knows? Like maybe we can have people come in and call call in with questions or something. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, yeah, great. So you were you were our first guinea pig. So uh, it, you know it was a real smart move to try this out five minutes before I got you on here. Definitely. <laughs> Luckily, what is the service that you guys use for uh, broadcasting? Well, right now what we're using is uh, is uh, Google Hangout, which has a plugin called mm-hmm. U- Uber Conference that lets you use uh-huh. uh, that lets you call phones and supposedly lets people call in to a number that you give them. Cool. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So yeah. then you like create a podcast with this, and then and then you broadcast it later. And yep, yep. We're, we're uh, we'll mm-hmm. post it on our our website. Sometimes we do um sometimes we do a live streaming of the of the actual Google Hangout, but uh, Doug usually sets that uh-huh. up. So I was ill prepared to do such a thing. So there was no live streaming of this today. Right. But uh, but right. yeah, it'll be on our website, so everybody will be able to listen to it there. And how do you live stream a Google Hangout session? Is that also done through Google Hangouts? Or? Yep, yep. It connects with uh, with uh, YouTube, so it goes on our YouTube All channel, right. and it'll just be so when they go to our channel, it's like right at the top of the page, and it's just streaming, and people can watch it. 
so cool. Yeah. Well, I, but yeah, oh, sounds like you're All walking right, into an elevator time. or something. All right. I'll talk to you later. Uh, have a good one. Okay. All right. So long. You too. And here's Landlord by David Robix. And you've been listening to another Music Manumit podcast at musicmanumit.com. Where none had been before Soon one man owned half a million acres On both sides of the Hudson River shore He invited families to move in And give him 30% Of everything they grew every year This is how they'd pay the rent His name was Rensselaer He became one of the richest men on earth in today's terms, $90 billion is how much he'd be worth. All this for doing nothing, but saying all of this was his. I have the power of the state behind me, and I'm in the landlord biz. After 200 years of this, and one revolution won another. Rensselaer had another son And this Rensselaer was greedier Than his ancestors did and past It was the 1840s And things were changing fast It was the straw that broke the back The bottle was uncorked They started organizing meetings the tenant farmers of New York They found the strength of numbers They found the power of suggestion They found each other Asking the same question Who gave you the right to be a landlord? To live a life of ease while others toil? Who gave you the right to be a rich man? While the rest of us pay you so we can work this soil They vowed they would stop the rent collection They vowed they'd bring this madness to an end And when one blew the tin horn of distress He soon found he had a thousand friends With calico skirts, masks upon their faces On horseback, armed with knives and guns they chanted and they yelled and they kept their farms And they kept the sheriffs on the run They asked, who gave you the right to be a landlord? To live a life of ease while others toil? Who gave you the right to be a rich man? While the rest of us pay you so we can work this soil? Governors, militias tried to stop them But nothing could be done to break their will And by 1848 the landlords buckled Sold their holdings to the farmers in the hills Yes, they overthrew this feudal system But it's replaced now by speculators and banks And you can still hear the homeless families asking Of all the landed gentry in our ranks who gave you the right to be a landlord? 
To live a life of ease while others toil Who gave you the right to be a rich man While the rest of us pay you so we can work this soil Who gave you the right to be a landlord To live a life of ease while others toil Who gave you the right to be a rich man While the rest of us pay you so we can work this soil Who gave you the right?